Father, thank you that we can gather here in person and thank you for each person who's with us online as well. And Lord, my heart is that you would open up our hearts, that we would be ready to receive all that you desire for us, that you take us deeper, Lord. There's always more journey of the heart ahead of us, Lord, and there's a journey of the heart that's behind us as well. So move us on, Lord. Keep us moving with you. We ask it in your name and ask that your Holy Spirit helps us, each one of us, where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, morning, everyone. Hello online. Um, I'm going to begin by reading out the passage for today. Just organize myself here. Um, so the passage comes from John 18, and it's, uh, it's about Peter's denials of Jesus, which is quite a... Um, it's quite an intense subject to be given. Peter's already preached on it this morning. Well done. <laughs> um, we'll see. We can swap notes afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's set in context. And what I'll do is I'll read, I'll read the passage out and then talk a bit about the context um, for how it sits within Peter's life and journey with Jesus. So if anyone's reading uh, along with me, John 18 verses 15 through to 27. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because the disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him, still bound to Caiaphas, and the, uh, to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of the disciples, his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man who, whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. It's such a, a, an intense story. Kind of, you're with Peter in that moment, and it's um, the pressure. I expect we've all felt something of peer pressure 
in the past or that pressure of a moment where you think you're going to be able to um, deliver or um, stand up for Jesus or whatever it is, but in the moment with the pressures that are on you, something kind of shrivels up inside or we just end up you know, ducking it or not really wholeheartedly delivering on what we thought we might. Um, so I think we can all relate to where Peter's at at this moment. Um, it's interesting, it features in all four Gospels. As we've been doing in home groups, um, perspectives through the Gospels, it's really interesting, actually, if you have a little look at how the denial story is in each Gospel. It is different. Um, John, in a way, has quite a lot of detail, but it's not the same detail as some of the other Gospels. Um, and you know, some of the other Gospels have... Uh, Uh, an explanation that Peter is calling down curses the third time he denies. So he's calling down curses from heaven. I'm not not sure where his curses are coming from. But he's trying to reinforce the point because he's scared. Um, that That is the reality. And... Uh, one of the Gospels, I can't remember which one, has Jesus turning to look at him. I mean, can you imagine that in that moment when Jesus had already warned Peter um, not long before at the Passover meal that he was, he was going to deny him when Peter had stood up saying, I'll go to death with you, Lord. I'll go anywhere you're going because they won't separate me from you. I'll fight for you. I'll stand by you. And I'm sure he meant it in his heart. But Jesus knew that the testing that was going to happen of Peter was going to run deeper than Peter's resources. And he came up against this moment. I'm just going to go back to, um, we're going to go to, to Luke and just look at this little account in Luke. I can find it. So this is, this is the moment where um, Jesus actually tells Peter that he is going to end up denying him. And a very interesting context, the disciples had been arguing amongst themselves who was the greatest. Um, And what had Jesus just done? Jesus had actually demonstrated servanthood by washing their feet. It's kind of, you couldn't sort of write this stuff, giddy, because it's just, they're doing the absolute opposite of what he's just taught them. And yet, his his patience and love continues towards them. Um, So he's taken the bread, he's broken it, he's taken the cup of wine and offered it to them. He's, he's, he's said to them at this point, I've been waiting for this moment. There's something in Jesus that knows that this moment of the offering of the cup and the bread, the symbols of his body and his blood, is going to be eternal. It's going to have eternal significance. It's going to be eternally celebrated. It's going to be eternally powerful in people's lives to bring the risen Christ into reality in our lives. So He's there in that moment. They're there in a moment of who's going to be sitting at his side. Am I the best? And we can probably hazard a guess that Peter was amongst them because where we see him track through his life, he tends to be the the first there or the eager one, the one to show that he can can do just as well as the others, if not better. Um, If they're there, he's there with bells on. That's Peter. Um, So that's the context in which They have this exchange. And 
Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, interesting, he calls him by his known name. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, oh, sorry, that's it, three times that you know me. Back in the passage in John 18, it's very interesting that John mentions twice that Peter was warming himself. And it is a particular expression, isn't it? He was warming himself. He, he actually went there with John. Both of them followed Jesus. John went in because he knew, um, he knew the joint, a bit like knowing the bouncer on the door. He managed to then go back and talk to uh, the girl at the door and get Peter in as well. Um, and so Peter's there and he's standing with people he doesn't really know. And he moves closer to the fire and he's standing in their company and he's warming himself. And there's something in this moment that we can see of Peter that he's isolated. He's not with John. Could he have been with John? I actually don't know. But I'd hazard a guess that actually being with John would have been a better place to be than standing on his own and warming himself. And there's something in that phrase, warming himself, that's like, don't we do that? When we're feeling perhaps isolated or afraid, don't we withdraw and tend to find some sort of level of comfort around us and look to warm ourselves with things that will encourage us or distract us or help us in that moment? And I think Peter's in a moment like that. Let's also remember back to Peter's calling. Do you remember by the lake and with, um, with the brothers of, uh, with the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and they were casting nets and Jesus tells them to cast the net and they bring in a miraculous catch of fish. And what's Peter's reaction? Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You know, this, is, this was first and foremost in his heart when he encountered Jesus, and it often is in our own, that we come face to face with our sin. And our reaction is not, come in, Jesus. I need more of you. It's go away from me because you just don't know who I am and you don't know what I've done. Um, that's Peter's first reaction to Jesus. And here he is, three years later, having traveled with Jesus, having ministered with Jesus, having followed Jesus, and said he'd follow him even to death. And he's in a moment, again, here on his own, thinking, how am, I, how am I supposed to answer this question? Do I know him? Do I know him? Of course I know him. Do I want them to know that I know him? Not right now, thank you. Because that's going to lead to a place I don't want to go. And in fact, Jesus, I don't know where you're going, because it wasn't where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to be overcoming, and you seem to be in a place of suffering. You seem to be in a place where you're about to enter into something I did not understand that you were about. So let's say this is Peter's greatest trial that he went through in his walk with Jesus and a test of faith. 
Jesus himself says that Satan has asked to test you, to sift you. I mean, that's hardcore, isn't it? That's heavy duty. Um, But Jesus said that he prayed for him. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. I mean, what kind of prayer is that? Is it the sort of prayer that we pray for people when we're wanting something to happen, but, you know, we're actually really worried for them? I'm not entirely sure it was that kind of prayer. I think he told Peter that he'd prayed for him because Peter needed to know that the Son of God, the Messiah, who Peter knew he was because he declares it moments before, or let's say the same day, that uh, he denies, but he actually needed to know that Jesus was tracking for him, with him, was 100% behind him, because he was about to enter into a trial that would have tested him to his very core. And interestingly, in in John 18, verse 32, um, Jesus Jesus says to Peter, and when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. So this wasn't just about Peter. I think there's different accounts that show us that all the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. And all the disciples said that they'd go with Jesus to death. It wasn't just Peter, but it's focusing in on Peter. Because actually, Jesus is raising him up as a leader. And he was going to be the rock. Peter, um, in the Greek, Peter means, I think it's Petros which means little rock. And when Jesus talks about about Peter being the rock, he describes him as Peter. You will be Peter. And on this rock, that rock in Greek is Petrus, which is a different different word, and it means foundation. So what Jesus is essentially saying is, Peter, you might see yourself as small, but actually through you and through me and you, the foundation of knowing that I'm the Messiah, the Christ, you're going to found the church. You're going to be with me founding the church, and you're going to see how strong that foundation is. You're going to see how how much of a rock I truly am in your life and in others' lives. Let's, Let's go to Acts 3, verses 1 to 10. This is Peter post all of this, and actually after, we'll come back to it, but after he's seen Jesus again, and after Jesus has restored him, reinstated him, demonstrated he's forgiven him, and revealed his love for Peter, and interestingly revealed Peter's love for him. So Peter and John, in Acts 3, were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And we see slightly later in verse 16... Peter says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. A few things to notice. Peter and John are walking together to the temple. Has Peter learned something? about fellowship? Has Peter learned something? The maverick, the one who wants to go it alone and do his own thing, has he learned something about walking with others and knowing to have a trusted friend by your side and to be two are better than one and agreement and the power of agreement, all the things that Jesus was teaching him. Perhaps the penny dropped. Perhaps Peter was better connected to his brothers and sisters as a result of what he went through. He says, I don't have anything to give you. You know, he talks of silver and gold, but he may as well have said, I have no resources inside that will make you well, except the resource with a capital R, Jesus Christ in me, is able to make you well. And so Jesus knows that he's standing on that rock that we were talking about. That Peter knows he's standing on the rock, Jesus, that we were talking about. And it's an interesting that the gate is called Beautiful. What does Peter see in this man who's crippled from birth, who probably has been overlooked most of his life, and I'd expect was looking pretty untidy, dirty, undesirable. But Peter sees something. So does John. But Peter's the one who addresses him and says, you're precious, there's gold in you, you're beautiful. You know, I don't think it's any accident that he was sitting by the gate beautiful. And yet, he didn't yet know or have that knowledge inside. That day, that knowledge would have come into his life. When I was in um, South America, I did some work um, with a Christian charity called Latin Link. And I was there for six months in total. I started in Nicaragua for a month. I went to Peru for four months. And I came back to Nicaragua again for my last month. Um, and there was a beautiful family who were in Nicaragua, in Bluefields, on the eastern coast, called Pastor Ed and Ligia Jenska. And they'd set up the church there. It was called El Verbo, the word. And I'd been involved in helping to build school classrooms. And I'd gone back just because I wanted to see them again, because they're such a beautiful family. And I stayed with them in their home. And Ed, he's such a beautiful man. He was so filled with the love of God. And um, I slept in their home for a, a, few, a few days. And I could often hear Ed in the morning for a good hour or two hours, just on his own, praying, worshipping. It just sort of filled the house. It was beautiful. And then, he'd, and then he'd come out, larger than life, and he'd just sort of put his hands on my shoulders and he'd give me a squeeze and say, I love you, David. You know? And he didn't actually know me that well. And it was that sort of awkward British moment where you were quite, not quite 
But I, but I did love it. I did love that feeling of being loved. Anyway, the last night before I was due to fly back to England, I was at their home, and it was a really hot night, and I was under a mosquito net, and I remember waking up in the morning, I was in an absolute sweat, because I just had this dream, and I was in, um, I was in a, a hut, a bit like the huts they had in Bluefields, and it was very dark inside, and, and I could see outside there was this light, um, there was a light sort of coming uh, towards me, and I remember thinking, oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I was really excited. And as the light came closer, and I knew it was him, I couldn't see him yet, um, something inside me snapped. It was like that. And I went, don't come in. Don't come in. Don't come in. I don't want you to come in. Don't come in. And I woke up saying it. Don't come in. Don't come in. Don't come in. And it absolutely freaked me out. I was sweating. And I think the thing was, I, I'd been doing missionary work, involved in all sorts of things, growing, leading. It'd been really, really dynamic, exciting time. And, and, I, and I had to sit there with the cold sweat reality that I was just saying to Jesus, don't come in. And yet, I'd been really loving walking with him. And there was this really weird place. I didn't know what it meant. And I just said to, to Ed, can we have a talk about this? I went, sure, sure. And so we, would, we talked about it. I explained it to him. And he said, he just smiled. He hardly said anything, but he smiled a smile that made me think, you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. And it was a smile of hope, and it was a smile of, uh, this is not what you think it is. And it didn't really explain a huge amount. He prayed for me, and I went back to England, and life carried on. But it was such a defining moment because there have been points in my life where I've realized that I didn't want Jesus to come in deeper. Yes, I've been following him. Yes, I've been walking with him. Yes, I love him. But actually, do I want him to come any closer than that? Because where's he going to take me? And this is where Peter arrived at in his moment of denial. He'd been following Jesus wholeheartedly with bells on. But Jesus was heading for the cross. And Peter was like, I'm not go- I- I'll go there. But he didn't really understand what he was saying. And he didn't have the resources in himself to go to the place that Jesus was going. And yet Jesus said to him, you will follow me. You will go where I'm going. Jesus says to him elsewhere. So it's not that Peter wasn't going to go. Isn't it one of those weird things that out of his mouth came the prophecy that he would actually follow Jesus to death, but in his own heart he came up against the barrier of of how far he was willing to go. And then he had to face the shame of having not lived up to what he said that he'd do. And we've got to remember that Jesus actually said in Peter's hearing, anyone who denies me before people, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Now, you imagine carrying that after you've denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but called down curses from heaven on your third denial. So, bringing this together, I think the key thing I really want you to take away and hold on to in your hearts is it's about identification with Jesus. As we come closer to Jesus, 
He's asking us, will you identify with me? Not with yourself, not warming yourself, but will you, will you receive me into the places where you need healing? Will you receive me into the places where you need transformation? And so actually what was happening in the denial was partly a denial like Peter didn't know really what was going on in his own heart, so there was some delusion there. It was a denial like a disowning of Jesus. I don't know you right now in this moment. And there was also a refusing to give Jesus something of himself, a denial in that sense. Jesus was asking more of Peter, and Peter was going, I can't, or I won't, or whatever it is that he came up against. I'm going to finish with just a reading from 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 6. Let's remember this is Peter's letter. So it's going to have some advice post this experience. 1 Peter 2, what did I say? Verses 4 to 6. Peter says this, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices available to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Shame was not the end of the story for Peter, and it's not the end of the story for us. So let's allow Jesus into these places in our hearts. Let's not keep him out. Amen.